This is Bob Burnett, and this is episode seven of Old Man Yells. One of the buzzes kind of going across not only the Bitcoin world, but kind of the world in general is about the announcement from two South Korean researchers last week about a substance called LK99, which claims to be a room temperature or ambient temperature superconductor. So I've had some people ask me, and what does that mean? And, you know, what what are the implications of this? And I guess to start with, first of all, what is a superconductor? So a superconductor is a material that can, can move electricity without resistance. And there have been some lab-created materials that can do this to date. But they only operate at, for instance, like 175 degrees Celsius below zero uh, or under extremely high atmospheric pressures. And there's really no practical method of using them outside of very specialized circumstances. And so the implications of a superconductor in the real world, meaning something, you know, that we can use at normal pressures and normal temperatures is quite astounding. I'm not a material scientist. I'm not a physicist. Uh, I'm an engineer. I'm a technologist. So I can't really tell you for sure. Actually, I'm not even say for sure. I can't tell you how likely this thing is that it's real. From my limited reading on it, I would say it's uh, suspicious, maybe dubious, but not impossible. And so it presents an opportunity to maybe do some thinking about the implications of, of this thing if it is real. And so, you know, to start with, you know, think about what happens today. Most electricity runs through copper wire, aluminum wire, uh, sometimes silver and gold, depending on the applications. And what happens is as as electricity current runs through that wire, it loses some of its power. And usually it's it's because of a voltage drop and and the power loss, at least the power lost in electricity, turns into heat. So if I have an extension cord, maybe a traditional home extension cord that you might use to power your Christmas lights or a, a hedge mower or something like that, let's say it's a hundred foot wire, you know, you might be losing, let's say 5% of the power uh, in the form of heat uh, through that. And so the implications of a superconductor would be in that situation. Well, you'd, you'd use 5% less energy as an example, uh, as a result of it. Now, at least that's the part of it that's um, relative to the wire. But really, if you think about it, and, and I have done some limited thinking about it, there's a lot of implications of this. And so I guess to start with, let's assume for the moment that it is real and that the material is easy to use, easy to produce. Well, it would have an immediate negative impact on the demand for things like gold and silver. 
So gold and silver, aluminum, copper, all of those materials are widely used. You know, we see them in wiring and electronics and demand would go way down for those. Now, in the case of silver, you'd probably see about a 50% drop in demand. Uh, in gold, you'd see a drop of 10 or 11%. Uh, however, I would guess uh, that the overall value of those precious metals would plummet dramatically because when you hear people talk about the intrinsic value of those types of materials, a lot of it comes back to their use in electronics and in industry, and they would no longer have that applicability. So you'd end up with primarily their usage in jewelry and you know artistic sort of things or as coins, and this kind of value as a premium conductor would go away. Now, same for copper to a certain degree, although interestingly, this material LK99, um, looking at the chemical formula for it, it does have a small amount of copper in it, although it's primarily lead, oxygen, and phosphorus. So um, those are the, or phosphor, the, 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 those are, those are the, you know, pretty common, obviously, materials. And so theoretically, the production of this thing would be very, very cheap. Now, um, the real implications beyond, you know, those obvious ones and the impact on kind of the precious metals market, I think you've got to look at the, the infrastructure of, of the grid and power itself. So just doing some, some very quick math and analysis, if we look at something like a wind turbine, for instance, right now, a wind turbine converts between 20 to 40% of the wind power itself, the, the mechanical power into electricity. Now there's something called the Betts limit and the Betts limit has been calculated to be 59%. And what that refers to is the maximum amount of mechanical energy that could be converted to electrical energy. And I would think in theory, a superconductor that could replace uh, major pieces of the wind turbine and generator system would allow us to approach the BETS limit. And so what that would that mean is that like, for instance, in the case of wind, we would have approximately a hundred percent increase in the output of a word of a wind turbine, typical wind turbine. I think if you look at solar, you look at diesel, you look at a lot of the other uh, technologies where we're converting, you know, a mechanical energy or or chemical energy into electricity, you get these similar ratios. So I think if this thing were real, we could see just in the generators at the source of the power, we could see something on the order of 100% increase in the productivity. Now, the, um, the next piece is transmission, right? So if you have a generator, you've got to make that energy go somewhere. 
according to the U.S. Department of Energy, they've studied this at least across the U.S. grid, and about 5% of all of the electricity is just lost in that transmission over those wires. So we have the 100% from the improvement in the generator. We get another 5% in transmission. And then along the way, we're going to have a series of transformers and switches. And we would need a lot less of those. Uh, and those that we did have would be much more efficient. Um, each step in the chain, it's kind of hard for me to say how much it would contribute, but maybe 2 to 4% improvement at each of those steps. And by the way, this stuff is kind of, it's kind of a compound effect, right? So... Um, uh, you know, the 100% to start and then the 5% and then 2 to 4%, probably several times in, a, in the typical power distribution that gets improved. And then ultimately, you have a device at the end of that, let's say it's a personal computer. And if you look at a personal computer, what you'll find is that the average power supply, oh, it's in the 80 to 90% efficiency range. And in theory, we could, we could, improve that, right? So we get another 10 to 20% improvement on top of that. So I think if you look at all that stuff compounded, you know, we're probably going to be in the range of um, 150 to 200% improvement just from that alone. And we've missed a whole bunch of pieces in the equation. So the bottom line is, is this would have just a massive dramatic effect on power transmission and power generation and how much power we needed. And, and um, should also point out that it would also be more, uh, much safer because a lot of times, like for instance, in transmission, those lines are running at like 69,000 volts. And part of the reason for that is that pushing low voltages over long distances is essentially impossible. So you have to have these really high voltages. Well, now, now we could push very low voltages, maybe even the voltages that we ultimately needed, like typically, uh, maybe, maybe we, we downshift to like 480 volts or something on that order, and that becomes the baseline. And uh, th again, that would have a dramatic effect on the safety and on all the equipment that we need. And, and so it would be a massive improvement to society. Now, then we use this example of kind of from the generator all the way to the personal computer. If we then looked at what's going on inside the computer, well, uh, the chips, a superconductor would allow the chip design itself to be radically different as well. So you're going to have less leakage, less heat, less resistance. You can drive the chips with lower voltage, resulting in you know higher chip density. Um, these are means in the end, what does it really mean? Well, it means the chips are gonna be way faster and consume way less power. So you take a personal computer, a server, a Bitcoin miner, uh, you know, whatever, whatever is the, the, the traditional silicon that we use today, and it would be, you know, it's hard for me to predict, but I would say likely in order of magnitude leap almost instantly. So instead of us kind of progressing by Moore's law, like we have recently, we would have kind of a step function where maybe we have a five to 10 X shift in a very rapid period of time. 
instead of a, you know, a, you know, a one and a half to two X efficiency every couple of years, which is where we've been with Moore's law. Now, um, a lot of you uh, that listen to this are Bitcoiners. So, you know, what does it mean for Bitcoin? Well, I think it's kind of interesting and a lot more thought has to be put into this. I may well reverse my position on this if, if it continues to be worthy of thought. But Bitcoin is really at the core, um, you know, based on energy. And it's somewhat predicated on energy being precious and valuable as part of the scarcity and value equation upon which everything is, is based on. And it uses that as part of its security. So if there was suddenly an overhaul of the world's power structure and there was a big surplus of energy and energy costs really plummeted, and we combine that with chip technology going through some sort of order of magnitude step function in a short period of time, that could obsolete the essentially the entire existing mining infrastructure. In other words, it would be like saying, well, you know, we're in this world today where maybe the typical machine is an S19 running at 90 uh, terahashes per second and consuming 3.3 kilowatt um, kilowatts per hour. Well, you know, what if instead it was something running at a thousand terahashes per second and consuming one kilowatt. And that, if, if that were to happen. Now, what that could do is create an opportunity for a nation state, big corporations, big financial services companies who today do not have really any control over the mining network. And by the way, that means access to block space, access to transaction priorities and all those sort of things. And they could theoretically, um, if they could get access to those chips before the existing mining community did, they could come in and kind of usurp the entire network. They could kind of take that thing over very, very quickly and all of the existing infrastructure could get obsolete. So I'm really not concerned about that right now. Uh, but I'm just kind of painting you through kind of the some of the what ifs. The reality is it will take decades for this whole thing to resolve. Um, the This technology, even if it works, we're at the point right now where they're producing small flakes of it. And we, even if it works in its current form, we don't know anything about the material itself. You know, how corrosion resistant is it? What's the tensile strength of it? What's the durability of it? How does it react under different temperatures and pressures? How malleable is it? You know, we have all these different things that will impact its ability to be used. Obviously, if it, if it exists in any form, it will be very, very useful. But for instance, it may not, it may not be conducive to being made into something that that looks like wire as we know it today. You know, maybe it can only be used in, you know, solid, solid, thick forms. We we don't we just don't know. 
Uh, I happen to be 59 years old. I think it'll take decades for this whole thing to resolve itself. But if some labs start confirming the superconductive super properties of this material uh, in the coming uh, you know, years, and, and I know there are several labs already trying to reproduce it with mixed results thus far. If, if this thing is positive, we'll probably see the mo most massive amount of venture capital funding um, and, by the way, nation-state funding into this because it will be a national security issue. It will, it will not only disrupt the, the things I just talked about, but obviously it would have national defense implications and the countries that can, can ramp up production of it first are going to have a huge advantage over those that are trailing. So it's definitely worthy of, of us all keeping an eye on and, and uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully something good comes because in the end, as long as it is used properly, this is something that can have implications on a positive way to society that are on par with all the big things we've talked about in the past, whether that's the printing press or electricity itself or the internet, um, you guys all know the list. This one has that kind of potential. So I'll keep you posted. I'm going to try to keep an eye on it. And uh, I hope I hope you guys do too. I hope you found this informative.